Have you yeah. seen the Reddit? Uh, there's like that Reddit board. Am I the asshole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that fucking one. I and you can it. like describe your scenario. Yeah. Where everybody's against me, but am I the asshole? And you're like, yes, you absolutely are. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's very obvious. <laughs> Those are the best ones. I saw I saw one that was like, uh, I'm a great sleeper, but my wife has insomnia. I like to set an alarm for every two hours throughout the night so I can get up and go back to sleep. Am I the asshole? <laughs> What? Wait, what? Yeah, absolutely. Why would you do that? Yeah. yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, on this episode, we're talking about hostile alien invaders with far superior technology laying siege to a world that doesn't belong to them. Uh, I'm referring, of course, to Israel. And we're also going to talk about UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> or not, not UFOs, UAPs. What, they, oh, yeah. They keep uh, trotting out new terms. Yeah. Do we want to go dessert first, I guess, and talk aliens up front? That's... Yeah, I mean... Um... No, I want to do the Israel thing first. Oh, really? Um... Hey, I'm down. Either one. All right. Broccoli first. Yeah, real depressing stuff. There was one shot that made my stomach churn when it was like a... Like this kid got shot in the head and they showed it and I... Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's tough. I had to skip ahead after mm-hmm. that because it was just too crazy. But Yeah, these atrocities just keep happening. It's like once every, you know, couple of years. I think the last huge one was 2014. Uh, but Israel will mount this massive depopulation, ethnic cleansing campaign in what's left of, like, Palestinian territory. Mm. And it's in the news for a little while. And usually the line you hear is, well, it's, like, it's, oh, it's complicated. It's really complicated. I mean, it's become sort of, like, shorthand for the the most complicated, intractable uh, conflict, like something unsolvable, like a Gordian knot. But um, yeah, it's really not that complicated at all. It's very clear yeah. uh, what the power dynamics are. Um, and there's, there's historical precedent for what's happening, which is settler colonialism, um, mm-hmm. you know. And we all know what that is because we're all living in the, uh, the product of it today. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this, mm-hmm. this moment, for whatever reason, has really changed the conversation more significantly than I've seen happen in the past. There's a lot more visibility and, and transparency on what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. I think there was a poll, and now yeah. when Americans are asked, who do you blame for the violence? Overall, 40% uh, of Americans say Israel, 60% say Hamas. Mm. For people under 40, it's reversed. 60% blame Israel as the aggressor, 40% Hamas. Basically, the older you get, the more uh, drastically you love Israel. Mm. That sounds about right. That's very interesting. So, yeah, things are changing for the better. The information's getting out. Because you're right, like, this issue has gone back so far for decades, and it hasn't... It's been a pretty one-sided thing the whole time. So it's cool that it's... Finally, like, things are evening out with the public opinion. Exciting. Like a lot yeah. of things, slowly but surely, you know, as information is, is out there and is more transparent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing for American opinion to be changing, you know, for the better. But I think that I saw a stat in Israel. It's still overwhelmingly, you know, pro-Israel there. Like, 93% of the citizens think that Israel is justified in, like, shoot-to-kill policies in the no-go zones and all, you know, all of the worst of the worst stuff, like wildly in favor of it still. Yeah. Oh, in Israel, 90% of Israeli. Well, that's not especially surprising. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. But I, I mean, during the Vietnam War, like, I don't know what the stats were of the people who protested that in America, but you know, it's possible to have dissenters in your country. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of where opinion needs to change most, you know, because that's where all of the power is. And like, they need to elect other kinds of officials. And, mm-hmm. but if they, if they keep, getting misinformed or getting the wrong idea, you know, or they're not going to, like, come around to this kind of... what uh, is it a two-state solution that, that Palestine wants? Well, a two-state solution is what's been advocated for generally is what the current situation is premised upon. Yeah. But that's not really the case, uh, and that's, in, in my opinion, not an avenue for a solution. You know, two-state solution being that Palestine governs itself, Israel governs itself, and they just sort of wall it off yeah but for that to actually happen palestine would actually have to have a functional state and independent representation control over their borders their resources and and none of that is the case right now what it what it really that would be huge change yeah 
what it really equates to now is, is it's an, an open air prison. You know, Israel controls their borders. Exactly. They control how much electricity they're allowed to have per day. You know, it's like four hours of electricity per day, so they can't keep any food. They carefully control the amount of food that goes into Palestine according to calculations of the minimum necessary caloric intake uh, before mass starvation. Wow. Right. They call it keeping Palestine on a diet. So uh, that's that's not two states, you know? That's Yeah. The casualty rate between both countries has been, like, drastically different. Like, Palestine has had, like, thousands of people die. And almost, and it, and almost all the conflicts, like, no Israelis die. But they're sort of uh, always portrayed as these, like, you know, victims in this case. It's frustrating yeah. to watch. That, I noticed that, too. Israel is, like, you know, it's, it's backed by, like, the best, you know, not the best, but, the, you know, the most funded military in the world, most powerful, most technologically advanced. It has all kinds of ways of defending itself. It has the, the dome thing. What's that called? The, the Iron, Iron Dome. dome. Yeah. I want some Iron Dome. <laughs> they're the biggest exporters, military exporters in the world per capita. Yeah. There's a huge kind of love affair between America and Israel. Yeah. And one of those documentaries kind of was getting at that. Like, there's, like, lots of funding that goes on from America in Israel and from Israel in America. Hmm. And these kind of faux grassroots campaigns that they kind of uh, finance to pass along their Zionist message among the youth because they they recognize that the only people who support Israel are going to, you know, are getting older and, and, and times are changing. Um, right, right. And so that was the nature of that, that one of those documentaries was kind of, you know, in, in regards to like the youth outreach that Israel was doing. But I still wonder, like, where does that relationship come from, that American love affair with Israel? And like, I know like the whole Zionism idea, like the promised land with Jerusalem for Christians and Muslims, you know, and Jews. And I understand that part, but it, it still doesn't make sense to me why America is so pro-Israel. Is it just strategically? Because it's like there's so many other countries there that are Muslim and they're, they don't want a Muslim stronghold in the Middle East. That's a big part of it that doesn't usually get articulated because it doesn't endear to pathos the same way that, you know, some of the other propaganda does. Yeah. But yeah, that's like a huge part of it is that Israel's existence is a, a really expedient for our military adventurism in the region. It's just sort of like a uh, U.S. outpost. Yeah. I, I wrote down a quote from uh, Alexander Haig, who is a retired army general and secretary of state, who called Israel the largest U.S. aircraft carrier in the world. Oh, shit. This <laughs> is starting to make sense to me now. Because I, I remember reading about it once, and it's just been years since I read about it, and I was just too... I don't know I'm just not emotionally available enough to like take on any more information about uh yeah, yeah conflicts in the world i'm glad you know yeah. i'm glad you guys are here to kind of remind me and kind of illustrate the new up the developments for me but yeah it just sounds like some fucking bullshit <laughs> i'm pissed <laughs> i'm pissed now like now i'm all mad this is why yeah. i didn't want to know about this stuff because i'm now i'm all pissed <laughs> yeah it takes a toll <sighs> It takes a toll. I've been I've been pouring through it really yeah. heavy the past week, and I, I definitely hit a wall at some point where it was like, how much more do you need to know? Like, the answer is so clear, but, like, how you actually do anything about it is very unclear. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know Gabor Mate. No. Gabor Mate, I've heard of this. He's, like, a he's a famous speaker, kind of philosopher, and also a Jew uh, who was, like, a Holocaust survivor. He was, he was a baby during the Holocaust. And so, you know, someone with a, a pertinent opinion on it, you know, someone who, yeah, you might want to know yeah. how they feel about it mm-hmm. because basically the idea with israel is that it was you know a gift to the jews after world war ii after all of the terrible genocide they went through yeah right from world war ii and at a way to kind of like give them some kind of penance or some kind of consolation prize yeah <laughs> the idea was that oh this is a, a land unoccupied yeah <laughs> an open free land that just happens to Look, be here on who's and a- we'll just let you have this who did that? Whose authority was that? Was that America? The UN. Oh, UN. It was like a collective sort yeah. of. I'm pretty sure it was like one of those UN agreements. Uh, it was. It was world everyone on the winning side of World War Two. Uh, whoops. And the, the odd thing about that is that it was a good faith attempt to address a very legitimate atrocity 
which was perpetuated by Europe. Yeah. But it wasn't European land yeah. that was reallocated to give Jews a homeland. It was Damn. it was brown brown people's land. <laughs> yeah, that's so fucked up. The, there was a slogan. It was a a land without a people for a people without a land. Oh my, oh my god. god. But the Palestinians were there. Yeah. There, like, there were millions of people were like yeah. Without a people. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? So they were ordered out, you know, at gunpoint by the military. Jesus. Some Christ. of the the same soldiers that they, that uh were protected by Palestinians. Yeah, when the British protectorate up, was rooting them out. Yeah, it was the British. They they fed them and hid them and then literally a, a year later launched a massive depopulation campaign in those cities to basically push everybody out of their homes at gunpoint. Depopulation. <laughs> that's a weird yeah that's a fucked up word and they killed everyone who wouldn't leave their house and there's pictures of it which is weird that like some of the most vehement supporters of israel are like sort of right-wing conservatives with a, a real prepossession with the second amendment which is all premise on the idea of like standing your ground yeah but you don't have an issue yeah. with private property yeah. the way the language is twisted is always about like palestinian violence and aggression which exclusively exists in response to yeah. people coming into your home and you know pushing you out right. but but they don't bat an eyelash at the idea that someone has a right to stand their ground and protect their ancestral homeland yeah uh, in fact like the line you hear more than anything is israel has a right to defend itself which i mean i always heard that yeah which sounds fine but then you you really dig into it and it's like Defend itself from what? Yeah. From people throwing rocks at the border wall that was erected through their... <laughs> yeah. It sounds like um, they were too cowardly, the Allies, after the end of World War Two were too cowardly to set up a, a, a land for the Israelis on European soil. They thought, well, let's take the easy way out, right? Let's. It's also a plus one for colonial expansion having a presence in the Middle East. Right. And now we're paying the fucking price for it. This is the same fucking bullshit that's going on in America. And we're trying to solve these issues that have a root so much deeper with like these like superficial solutions. Mm. But the, if you just, you have to get to the root of it. Otherwise it's going to keep growing back like a, you know, a really bad weed, right? You know, you keep cutting off the top and then it keeps growing back because we never actually got to the root of the problem, which is that, like, we really shouldn't be here. <laughs> In the first place. I thought you liked bad weed, Oliver. I thought you liked mids. <laughs> <laughs> To finish that thought earlier with Gabor Mate, yeah. he talks about how when he grew up, the dream of a free Israel, like a, a land for the Jews, was like a beautiful idea for him after all that yeah, he went through. Because even before World War II, like Jews have a long history of being persecuted. You can't deny the beauty and the idea of it, but they just were misinformed. They were lied to. Like it wasn't <laughs> a land without a people. Yeah. And as he discovered the truth behind that, like his opinion changed, you know, like it kind of broke his heart in a lot of ways. And he, yeah. he kind of broke from, from the group. But like I said, like 90% of people in Israel agree with the most egregious murders that happen. The, it's a very insular upbringing. If you raise as a Jew, you're automatically raised, like kind of like in America, like you just sort of this uh, American exceptionalism that we're all right. taught. Uh-huh. And so are the Jews. There's this kind of like the Jews in Israel. There's kind of this, yeah, like a love story. We're the chosen After people. World War II and all their persecution, it's a, like a romanticized idea for them. Yeah. They're one shot at finding peace as a people. But that isn't true. Like Gaza is just a 25 mile long strip along the ocean, five miles in. Mm -hmm. With two million people living in it. It's like one of the most densely populated places in the world. And uh, oh. yeah, like, like Dan was saying, like, just, they super disproportionately retaliate after like a Palestinian throws a rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shoot some, you know, super sophisticated yeah. Lockheed Martin rockets, <laughs> which destroy a building. And, and because they control the supply, they can't rebuild the trucks, you know, and the supplies to sweep away the, the rubble and rebuild are not allowed in to Palestine. They don't allow any construction equipment uh, through the border and something like 94% of the fresh water uh, in Gaza is toxic. Fuck. So they rely on water desalination plants because of their coastline for drinkable water. But then those were bombed also and the materials needed to rebuild them are, are not allowed in. Oh, no. They, they bomb like routes to hospitals and a bunch of very shady stuff, you know, like they, they have pinpoint accuracy 
And so they don't they don't ever claim like they they misfired. They just say like, oh, Hamas was over there. Mm-hmm. They'll just use Hamas as an excuse to blow up anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Hamas. You hear Hamas all the time. It's it's not necessarily like an, an organized un- unified body or constituency. Hamas is kind of the antifa of palestine mm-hmm. it's like to what degree does it actually exist as an as an organized faction it's all a reaction to aggression but it's used very effectively as a straw man a straw yeah. man and a, a boogeyman yeah you can say like what they they bombed the the al jazeera the reporting right right but they were like there's hamas uh, they're keeping hamas rockets in the in the break room or some <laughs> shit like that wow so many war crimes I try to, as much as I can, listen to discourse from diaspora Jews on the subject. Because the, the reality is the support for Israel as an ethnostate, that project, is not or so frequently from Jews throughout the world. Um, like the, the most aggressively supportive contingent is evangelical Christians. Yeah. We've had a, a little bit of exposure to that. I mean, I grew up <laughs> Christian, evangelical Christian. I was brought up to stand the Jews as God's chosen people. For evangelical Christians, they're sort of like weebs for Judaism. <laughs> That's such a good comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is, right? I mean, I was raised to love the Jewish people. Yeah, spot on, man. And I've always had a lot of respect for their culture and, you know, for their cause. Yeah. But it's weird, like, the more I'm exposed to, I realize it's kind of an Orientalism, you know? Evangelical Christians project this significance and, and sovereignty onto them because of weird Christian eschatological prophecy about how they play an instrumental role in the end of the world and in, you know, the the second coming of Christ and the apocalypse and all of them getting to heaven, with the caveat that the Jews don't actually get to heaven. They're just sort of a stepping stone for Christians to... it's, it's very weird stuff. I mean, I've been sort of like doing a little refresher course on all of that stuff that I like sort of heard as a, as a kid and... You know, it's just like, okay, that sounds cool. <laughs> but yeah, it's all about like sure, uh, the the third temple has to be built. Oh, right. The temple on the mount. The Holy of Holies? Right, right. I mean, it depends on what denomination or faction of Christianity you're in. But like then the Antichrist shows up and brokers a peace. And then, you know, that ushers in some some real book of revelation shit um yeah yeah it's weird stuff hmm. where, where is this third temple supposed to be built in jerusalem where the dome of the rock is now what what where is that the dome of the rock it's like the third holiest site in islam second to hmm. mecca and medina yeah and it's been there for a little while so to demolish it it would cause pretty significant outrage but yeah, the whole premise is that until that's demolished and a Jewish temple is built in its place. What? I mean, yeah, that's that's what this evangelical prophecy, well, well, um, Jewish prophecy sort of co-opted and reinterpreted by Christianity uh-huh. portends. Why do they have to destroy the previous, like from their point of view, the logic behind? I don't know. But that's why you hear that it's like different groups fighting over the same holy land. I know, like, a lot of Christians go and visit the Holy Land, too, and do the walk. Yeah, I remember people in, in church talking about, oh, I can't wait to go visit uh, Israel. And Yeah. Huh. I think, I remember my grandpa did that, actually. He went to, he went to Israel. It's, it's interesting, because they use the term Israel in the Bible, you know, for that place. But for a long time, the name, the, that country, as it was, you know, known as Israel, it wasn't the case. Like, that wasn't the name for a long time. Oh. And it readopted the name Israel in 1940. What? In like, the 40s. Shit. Yeah. What was it before? The ancient Egyptians called the area Pel- Peleset, like, 3,000 years ago. Assyrians called it Pelashtu. And this is all pre-Roman. Yeah, but even post-Roman, I'm pretty sure the name Israel changed mm. among Jews as well. Like, it wasn't... That's a more recent thing. Like, for at least a 1,000 years or so, it, it was another country. Okay. As the Christians, we grew up thinking, like, it's just been this place here. Like, God's kind of put, you know, for a special purpose, for special prophecy purposes right. in the future. Right. And it kind of gives the wrong idea that, like, this Israel has been kind of a central part of the story still. Yeah, it's a real manifest destiny analog. And the defense that people use, like, if you take a birthright trip to Israel, they'll tell you, well, this land is yours because, you know, if you dig, if you dig into this cave here, we find, like, a, a coin... That was, we find like relics of a Jewish presence here uh, 2,000 years ago. But you could do that like literally with any region of the world. I mean, 
Uh, oh, yeah. That land has been populated by so many different people groups uh -huh. uh, over time. Like, if I, as a uh, Italian ex-person, went to the UK, I could find my ancestors, you know, Roman artifacts that, that predate an Anglo-Saxon presence there. But, you know, to, to take the step that that means I should be able to walk into anyone's home uh, with a gun and say, this land is mine, this home is mine, and you got to get out of here, hey. is ridiculous. Hey, I'm walking here. Hey. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Sure would be a shame if someone took this beautiful home. <laughs> Shit. I wonder, so why, what, what so makes them so impassioned about doing this? I guess it's because they don't have anywhere else to go, right? Who, the, uh, is, is the, the, the Jews, Jews, yeah. Jews. They don't have anywhere else that was allotted to them. So who's the real fucking culprit here is the, the UN. Well, now it's like an intersection of religion and politics, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's like... To leave would have religious and political implications that the Jews, like, aren't ready to handle. Well, where would they even go? So they can't just tell them to leave. You can't just say, like, no, go away to either yeah. of them without giving two, them somewhere to two fucking Two-state solution. They probably had a solution like that there at were, some point, right? Didn't they have, like, a, oh, actually, Palestinians, you guys can go here. And they were like, block that, <laughs> right? Isn't that what happened? There were borders drawn that were, uh, like, Palestinians had lost ground. Uh -huh. It's, it's like uh, mm -hmm. Israel has been encroaching on their land over the 60 mm -hmm. years. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure one of the agreements is like to, just to go back to that original border drawing del delineation of the agreement they came up mm -hmm. with right. many years ago. Mm -hmm. Jews and Christians and uh, Muslims all coexisted in that land for a long time relatively peacefully. The issue is the idea that it should exist exclusively as a Jewish ethnostate, you know. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts to get into ethnic cleansing and genocidal territory. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts to get into, you know, the Jews yeah. can do a little Holocaust as a treat. <laughs> That's such a good meme you made, by the way. That was a meme? It was a tweet that, that got me banned from Twitter for 24 hours or something. Oh, like right. They got you banned. Nice. You said mm -hmm. that the Jews could do... That's crazy. A little Holocaust. It's like a meme. As a treat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad because it's really like, you know, like on the on like a personal, like individualized level, they talk about the perpetuation of a cycle of abuse, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to say earlier. You experience trauma and abuse. I was going to say that at the very beginning of this conversation, but I didn't want to appear ignorant or bigoted. So I'm glad it came out. You'd be as ignorant like, as you want. I'm, I'm ignorant <laughs> of this situation, but from the very beginning, what it sounds like is... The, from the from what's going on from the Jewish perspective is they got fucked over and they're still hurting from it and so they're they're you know perpetuating that hate onto the next group of people and it's like a that's just a common mm -hmm. psychological mm -hmm. phenomenon you see in like relationships and like you know, every time you see it's like a natural human tendency you can almost predict it like clockwork you you, you become without steady and doing the work to rehabilitate and heal yourself, you can all easily accidentally become very similar to your abuser. Become what you always hated. Fairness is like a, a tool of the uh, propagandists. They try to make you believe like, oh, in order for this to be fair, you need to do the same thing. And that's not, uh, we don't live in a fair, just world in that way where we get to execute our own interpretation, our will of what should be fair based on the atrocities that happened to us in the past. Sure, an eye for an eye and the whole world blind. Yeah. It's very sad, you know, it's very tragic when you think about it. Yeah. And uh, ironic, too. You have to wonder, like, are we doing ourselves and them a disservice by not holding them accountable for some of the pain that they're going back and lashing out and inflicting onto this world? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's white guilt. If you're paralyzed by white guilt, you're going to allow things like that to occur. I feel like there's a, it's kind of a complicated thing, I would say. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, there's a difference between anti-Semitism in America in, you know, in Western countries mm -hmm. and the Israel-Palestine conflict, which often use claims of, oh, no, don't be anti-Semitic mm -hmm. as cover for their uh, atrocities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Often when there is dissent expressed in the United States against policies of the Israeli government, um, uh, people here are called anti-Semitic. Uh, what is your response to that as an Israeli Jew? Well, it's a trick. We always use it. When from Europe somebody is criticizing Israel, then we bring up the Holocaust. 
When in this country people are criticizing Israel, then they are anti-Semitic. But at the same time, I think anti-Semitism in America is more of a real cause to be concerned with. I remember, yeah, like, because I grew up a Christian too, so like the Jews were sort of like the special ones, mm-hmm. you know, these kind of <laughs> like dance of the weeps. So I grew up with a, a weird kind of fetishization of Jewish people. And I remember being surprised to learn that of anti-Semitism, like, I mean, I knew of the Holocaust, obviously, but I kind of thought that was old news now. I, I thought maybe we were, you know, anti-Semitism was fixed mm-hmm. or solved or whatever. But uh, I know lots of claims of anti-Semitism are still used in today's, you know, like identity politics. Mm-hmm. That comes up a lot, obviously. Um, and there's lots of kind of kooky theories out there, I would say, <laughs> to, regarding, like, you know, the, the Jews controlling all the media and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> the Jews will not replace replace us right. in the kind of New World Order, mm-hmm. which is more of an American and, like, Western phenomenon, not so much a Palestinian-Israel thing. It's not related. And I think those are two different things. Yes. Yeah. It's not yeah. related in any way. I mean, you could trace everything back to, a you know, maybe a common origin, but it's a it's a pretty significantly different relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and people in the U.S. are starting to... I mean, it starts to become undeniable, especially like after last summer, you know, when you saw police just like savagely beating down on people for for peacefully protesting during the the race riots, as I like to call them, or whatever we're officially calling it now. Mm -hmm. Um, But to see that here Mm -hmm. and then to see the same thing happen, you know, to see IDF soldiers beating the shit out of families and lynching people in the street. And it's it's pretty hard to make the same old arguments for an American, uh, whatever, American audience in American media. But over the past couple of years, the lobbyists that advance Israel's interests have tried different techniques. There was like a whole pinkwashing thing where they tried to say like Israel is a LGBT paradise, um, which didn't really work. I remember getting like ads for Birthright that were like gay themed because my Instagram algorithm thinks I'm gay, gay and Jewish for some reason. <laughs> Um, But now that's kind of fallen by the wayside. And as this graphic imagery starts coming out of the conflict and people's minds are starting to change, um, there has been an attempt to kind of muddy the waters with a conversation about anti-Semitism, which is, I mean, anti-Semitism is a real thing. You know, hate hate exists and it's always existed in in, it's existed in that form uh, in the U.S., but. The goalposts for what anti-Semitism is keep moving. Like I heard a figure that mm-hmm. anti-Semitic hate crimes in the U.S. over the past several weeks have increased like a 200 gajillion percent or something <laughs> like that. But then you, <laughs> but then you, no you, you know, you start to look into it like what are these reports? And it's like, you know, someone had a free Palestine sign or so, uh, someone saw graffiti that said free Palestine on a Dunkin' yeah. Donuts. And these are all, you know, these are all submitted by the ADL, the, the uh, um, Anti-Defamation League, without any evidence or real um, scrutiny or inquiry into their validity, which, I mean, the, the ADL, which is a group that protected Jewish interests in the U.S. and by their own definition fought anti-Semitism in the U.S., their official definition of anti-Semitism is any denial that Israel deserves to exist as an ethnostate. So, you know, if you advocate for a one-state solution with equal rights between all people in the region, denying the Jewish character of Israel, that by definition is anti-Semitism. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is the whole thing is the conflation of anti-Semitism with anti-Zionism. And it's very easy to blame people who criticize certain acts of the Israeli government as anti-Semitics and to bring up the Holocaust and the suffering of the Jewish people and that's, that justify everything we do to the Palestinians. What's it like over there? I don't know. Like, or is it a totally different population with totally different values than the people you find here in America? Um, Public opinion is still very, is different. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some like more, you know, Jews of notoriety, like famous Jews, you know kind of coming out and speaking out against Israel's occupation of Palestine mm-hmm. in America. But that's still really rare in Israel. Okay. Yeah, Bernie was one of them. And and as we all learned, Bernie uh, is anti-Semitic. Oh, now he's anti-Semitic? <laughs> yes, and he's sexist. Wait, oh, what? yeah, there was a huge push to label uh, Bernie Sanders uh, as anti-Semitic from sort of the, you know, liberal left. 
Crazy, crazy. There's, there's, there's still a pretty strong liberal Zionist contingent in addition to like the you know, conservative evangelical Zionism that makes up most of that demographic. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, most Jews here are more, you know, there's a range of orthodox to casual Jews. And I, I think if you're in Israel growing up in that culture, you're going to, the religious side is going to be more indoctrinated, I think, among the people. And it's going to be more of a singular group think. Because that's, that's what it seems like with the data, with the stats. Sure. At some point, they were able to legally label all of Palestine as Hamas and, and, and claim it was all like, you know, a terrorist organization, which only led them to like more rampage and more destruction of Palestine, more rockets right. and all that kind of stuff. They don't have Iron Dome protecting them. I think the craziest thing is like Palestinians can't leave Palestine. I don't think people understand that. To leave, you could maybe claim a health permit sometimes, like if you're injured. And you need like help from a hospital that in, in resources that aren't available within the Gaza Strip. But those permits are like very, very temporary and less and less frequently given out. So unless you have one of these injury permits, you, you can't leave. Like it's an open air prison. Whoa. Yeah, you can't get medical care unless you are granted a, a hall pass to leave. You can't pursue an education unless you are you know, given a special permit to, to go to school outside of the borders of... Shit. So, you know, it's... I mean, anyone living in this place doesn't really have a future. Yeah. You're yeah. sort of... Uh, you're disconnected from your past and you don't have a future. I think something like 80% of the people living in Gaza are refugees from other parts of Palestine that are now colonized by Israel within the last 10 or 20 years. Yikes. So it sounds like, so we have different types of practicing Jews or non-practicing Jews in America, right? Yeah, but in, but in Israel too, there's Orthodox Jews, there's practicing, there's there's secular Jews in Israel. But they're so disconnected yeah. from the, the whole country. I feel like the Jews here in America are so disconnected from them. They're oh, probably yeah. just told us, yeah, like, oh, we support Israel in that conflict. Don't ask too many questions. You know what I mean? Yeah, to- exactly, right. exactly. And they just but there are, there are major campaigns, propaganda campaigns too, reintegrate them into the project of a Jewish homeland in Israel, there's like birthright. birthright. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I had a friend who had to go over there and fight. It's, compul- it's compulsory, it's compulsory military Yeah, service. you have to. In two years, right? Two years. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's yeah. all starting to yeah. come back to me now. Which is weird because then I wrestle with the idea of to what degree could, could you say that Israelis are complicit in what the country and the government of Israel is doing? You know, the, the military service is compulsory. Right. But, of course, that doesn't mean that you have to do it. Like, there was a Taylor Swift uh, fan account on Twitter that <laughs> posted something about, sorry, guys, I'm going to be not posting for a while because I'm being sent to jail. People were like, why? And, and they were like, because I live in Israel and I refused to serve in the IDF. Oh, yeah, I heard about yeah. this. Yeah. I've seen reports of, like, people boycotting the IDF and joining it, like, young, younger people like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, there is there's definitely a massive cultural push yeah. to bring the Jewish diaspora from all over the world, uh, especially the United States, Back to, to Israel, Israel to fight. or at least to you know be propagandized and uh, endeared to Israel as a as a Jewish homeland. You know that Cars for Kids? Uh, it's like a nonprofit with a really really annoying commercial. One eight seven seven Cars for Kids. Yeah. Have you seen Cars for Kids with a K? It's Cars with a K. It's a kid's computer. <laughs> it's the sequel to the kid's computer. Computer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What were you going to say, Dan? Yeah, Cars for Kids is a, is a charity where you're supposed to donate your car for a tax write-off or whatever. But it's actually a Zionist organization, and the money goes to bringing young Americans to Israel so they can go, look, look at this place. This is yours. It's all- uh-huh. And uh, don't worry about those Palestinians over there. Don't look over there. Hmm. And birthright. I mean, birthright's the biggest one. That's the most well-known. Yeah. It's like Zionist summer camp. And the whole idea is you, like a, a teenager from the U.S. gets a free trip to Israel. And they bring all the, like, hottest IDF soldiers to lead the tour group. And then <laughs> you're kind of supposed to, like, fall in love and let an IDF soldier nut inside of you so you can perpetuate the next generation of, like, Zionist Jews. Holy shit. Um, and be connected to Israel as a, as a homeland. Yeah, the ethno-state implications of that are really gross. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily opposed to the, the Jewish project of having a, a homeland. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. But the aggressive pursuit of that homeland existing as an ethnostate, you know, at the expense of the inhabitants of that land. Yeah, it's almost hypocritical. I was going to say, what's their what's their reasoning, you know, for, for doing that, this ethnic cleansing? But there's not a reasoning involved beyond the pain, like uh, the, the suffering reenacting the cycle. Um, there's obviously, you can rationalize anything, but uh, it sounds like that and, mm-hmm. you know, what who are we to say, as Americans, who are we to say, no, you can't do that? And like, literally, we're just being hypocrites. Like, we're literally standing on this land right now saying that. Right. Right. That's a line that I hear a lot, too, is like, oh, well, if you're so critical of Israel, America is ancestral land. You, your presence here is the result of mm-hmm. uh, settler colonialism. Should America be given back to its original inhabitants? And like, yes, obviously, <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, the Native Americans would definitely make better stewards of the land than the U.S. as it exists now has. Um, but because it was such a long time ago, the degree to which that land could be reallocated at a, at a, a realistic scale is... St- I mean, to what degree those native people still exist at a scale that this land could be returned to them, how much mm-hmm. those people are owed. Obviously, the reparations given to them are insufficient. Mm-hmm. But if you can stand by and watch displacement and colonialism happening right now in Israel, actively happening before your eyes... That begs the question that if you were around during the birth of this nation, would you just stand by and allow it to happen the way it did? I mean, Oliver, you've spent more time directly with Native Americans or... Well, what is it you told us? It's like they told you that um, now they're trying to change it to Native Americans or American Indians, another term that they keep changing. But Uh the tribes that you've spent time with have been like, you guys called us Indians. Yeah, uh, and you did that for hundreds of years, so you can't just change it now because you're trying to. Yeah, so we're not gonna let you just <laughs> sanitize it and be woke. Yeah, you can't. You can't have that. No, we don't forgive you. Like, fuck off. Right. And <laughs> that's a common uh, misconception that is, I think, propaganda. Uh, like one of the most heavily propagandized falsehoods about Native Americans is that they're dying people. But like when we first got here, when Columbus got here, there's. Uh, between 7 million and 18 million Native Americans here. And to, at, at this current day, there's 5 million Native Americans here. So oh, wow. really, they're just they're just shoved off into these little corners. All the land, all the good land has been taken up by white people, by the cities, the national parks. Are, you know, mainly the cities are sitting on this, like, perfectly fertile, like, the land where the, where the rivers run through it, and it's not too hot and not too cold. And the Native Americans have right. been pushed off into the corners. And so, yeah, they're suffering. But they're fucking strong and they're surviving in that. I feel like it'd be just as feasible for us to withdraw, not all of our population, like, but white people to withdraw uh, maybe half or more of their population, like slowly um, back to Europe, who is suffering from a population decline crisis. Um, I, I don't know much about the uh, what the Palestinian infrastructure is like, but there's 5 million Native Americans in the United States right now. It could be argued, if I had to just guess off the, off the cuff, that they might have an even better chance of repopulating the land in a, in a healthy way than the, what's left of the Palestinians after all this ethnic cleansing. That they both deserve, They both deserve their land back. And in the same way that it's possible for Israelis to withdraw from the territories that they're just trying to take over. And we have to set an example. Like, that's part of asking the Israelis to stop being such dickheads is to just do the same thing ourselves. But but I'm curious, like, Oliver, having spent time, what, what would they like to see? We'll joke about it. But we haven't talked about white people leaving because they're still being, they're being very accepting of me. They're not going to say anything that's going to make me feel like shit. Sure. They're, they're not even going to say something as mean as... You're, you'll never be Lakota. You're, or you're what? You're white. You can't actually be this. You can't actually be that. They're, they're so ex- incredibly accepting. I've been like very like graciously, warmly accepted, so far more than I thought I would be. You know, as a white person coming in, I thought I was going to be stepping on people's toes and offending people left and right. Turns out, a lot of the things that I thought were, I would offend people with weren't really offensive at all. And a lot of things that I thought wouldn't be offensive at all, like talking too much were incredibly offensive, you know? Or asking too many questions or something like that. Like, it's pretty easy to not be offensive. You just you just don't talk too much and do a lot of listening. That's kind of the way it is with everybody, right? Um, but 
yeah, that's a, the takeaway that the, the main takeaway that I get that was the most surprising to me was resilience. Who who's on the reservations to this day? Yeah, there's a significant portion of the population that suffers from addiction, alcoholism, despair from the traumas that occurred and the lack of proper infrastructure that's there to support them. Mm-hmm. But they're just a tremendous amount of resilience. When you look at like the, the sheer strength, like the mental fortitude of somebody who could grow up on a res and come out with like yeah. like their sobriety and their life and their their motivation and their hope is something that we didn't experience growing up. We don't we'll never get to be as strong as someone like that. Unfortunately, like I can go to the sweat lodge once a week for five years because of the way I was raised. I most likely won't ever be as strong. Like might have have the same mental fortitude as somebody who grew up on the res and can just like yeah. Like, everything is a blessing. Everything is appreciated. And that's why I think that they're going to ultimately outlast us. If you think about, like, what, what Jesus said, or just a common saying, the meek shall inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. People who have gone through hardship are going to be the ultimate winners in this, this battle, this war that's occurring for resources and redistribution of wealth. Like, a rich person wouldn't last a day without their luxuries. A poor person could last pretty fucking long. <laughs> You know, and so as soon as those luxuries start to get taken away, uh, the poor people will start to take the power back. Yeah, I was talking to my roommate about it, and he was like, What? That's still going on? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's not following the same trend as like a normal meme, like something funny in our culture that becomes popular all of a sudden and then goes away. There's like a time period that that occurs. And for stocks aren't like that. Like stocks change on a longer time span. That's why most people don't do well, like in the stock market. It's it's kind of like in, in the age of COVID when we're all so isolated, you know, this is kind of like our one a semblance of connection. Mm-hmm kind of cool but it, it does kind of remind me of the subculture of like i don't know if you guys are into crypto or whatever but you know there's like a whole i mean there's so much there i know you had bitcoin at one point dan um mm-hmm. yeah and there's like the new like nft thing popping off the, earlier this year as well have we talked about nfts what do you guys we haven't guys yet have opinions on those i'm trying to remember what they are it's non-fungible tokens yeah. okay it's it's basically uh, a dollar is a fungible token. The U.S. dollar is interchangeable with any other U.S. dollar, right? So you can uh-huh. trade one for another. Yeah. So a non-fungible token uses the blockchain to create artificial scarcity oh. so that they're tradable and it's used for art world applications. Yeah. So people are making really, really bad art, um, <laughs> just uh, atrocious art of like a spinning Ethereum logo on top of a Lamborghini with, you know, a Doge riding it mm-hmm. to the moon, like weird 3D art and stuff. But they've been selling for significant amounts of money, very yeah. significant amounts of money. And GameStop has announced their own like breach into the NFT world. Oh, um, really? Did you hear about this? No. People were pretty hype about this. I haven't heard this. Yeah, they're saying that like they're called like GameStop coins or something like that. So each each game that you buy with GameStop, you can trade, give to other people, but it's going to be your own unique game, right? That uh, you can give to other people. You can for money, right? And so you could get a video game that Michael Jordan just got done playing and like play against his high scores and his like phantom characters and like race against it or yeah, like yeah. And it, so it'd be like this new like collectible form kind of goes back to their old roots of like trading in games, you know? Yeah, no. That, <laughs> like a ridiculously high markup. That is interesting. You remember on the episode where we talked about GameStop, we were like, maybe this saved the company from bankruptcy, but it's still an outdated business model. But what this moment could do is allow them to pivot to like more of a digital retailer than a brick and mortar. Yeah. Yeah. Retailer. Yeah. But that's an interesting, that's an interesting use case because then it sort of allows you to uniquely trade your version of a digital download of a game and create a resale market for it, which only existed with physical games. Yeah. And I'm I'm actually like this that's the first one that I'm excited about. Like I've I've been in, in like the Reddit community, Super Stonk and RGME 
for like a, a few months now and they've all been pretty excited about GameStop as a prospect as a company already like they're the way that they've been pivoting I, it wasn't until they actually heard about this NFT thing that I was I was actually kind of getting excited myself like oh okay I could see where this is going like this could actually be really big I mean it makes sense for them but I don't know if I like the implications of that business model as far as like intellectual property law goes, because mm-hmm. it just makes everything that much more traceable. You know, like you can't you can't torrent an episode of The Sopranos. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, if it has like a unique blockchain address and is is traceable, because I'm I definitely lean toward being a copy left copy leftist yeah same yeah i kind of had the same thought the same feeling they're like this is kind of what we were talking about uh you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools right right yeah yeah we're gonna fuck over a few hedge funds but in the process we might create a whole nother demon Mm -hmm. we might actually be shooting ourselves and a lot of people in foot in a lot of ways by the point do you think the nft thing is like a oh because that's the way gme is pivoted yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. I see what you mean. Yeah, like I know for a fact that you know, <laughs> let's say, let's say the the MOAS, the mother of all short squeezes, does occur. Let's call it a MOAS. Wait, what is this? MOAS, mother of all short squeezes. <laughs> is this so, like a, yeah. a future event that's pre- predicted on these online spaces? All shorts must cover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're saying that it that it must or it's very likely to happen. If it does happen, mm-hmm. that be this would be the largest transfer of wealth in in the history of the world. Dude, that's so. It's funny. beautiful because you know we were asking for redistribution of wealth with like uh like I don't know student loan debt forgiveness or you know UBI. Yeah, they're they're not giving it to us. So right. now the, our job is to take it. In my mm-hmm. opinion, you know we're not going to mm-hmm. be asking anymore, and this is how we take it. You know, if the apes do what they're supposed to do. And invest most of this money back into our community. You know, it might actually be really good for the country. Yeah, I think if it's ever allowed to happen, which I, I you know, still seems like a long shot to me. Mm-hmm. Even though I understand, like you know, the logic behind it, like you know, all shorts must cover. There have also been like examples of short squeezes in the past. I think mm-hmm. Tesla was there was a, a moment where that was shorted. Mm-hmm. There's you know, there's there's lots of comparable mm-hmm. context here. The stage is set for a short squeeze. You know, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And they keep because they keep shorting as well. They, they to keep the price down. They keep digging themselves deeper, mm-hmm. um, and they keep doing these sort of um, you know hedge fund tactics that are only available to them to the one percent. You know, mm-hmm. like sh- naked short squeezing, doing all kinds of things to artificially keep the price where they want it. Yeah, so they're doing these tactics that are pretty obvious by you know anyone who's like even paying a modicum of attention. You know. And it's just a matter of if the SEC and, and the the powers who are meant to be overseeing these kinds of things and policing it and keeping it fair actually follow through and enforce the rules that they're clearly breaking. And uh, up to this point, they haven't done it yet. It's just sort of they've gotten small fines, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they get fined like a million dollars. But then, they're, you know, if they're making billions of dollars, it just for them, it's just considered the cost of doing business. Yeah. But if there was ever... A margin call, all of those um, naked shorts would disappear and they would all have to cover. So you could, in, at that at that point, name your price. Mm-hmm. There's like different ways of selling stock, right? There's like a limit sell or a call order sell. Is that what you said? Oliver? Market order, yeah. Market order. And then limit or order. Or limit order. Yeah. Yeah. So with limit order, you could literally put your pri- whatever price you want in, you know, mm-hmm. um, and... Some people think uh, 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 have estimated it's like in the billions of of shorts that they have to cover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're trying everything. Like at this point, I feel like they are lying to themselves. They they think that they're gonna get out of this. Like you know how you tell yourself we we tend to think that the people who are in charge of these operations don't like uh, follow the same rules as normal human like brains, but like. They're, mm-hmm. I feel like they're just as capable of being, you know, overconfident, arrogant, stupid <laughs> as a lot of... Entitled. Entitled. Like, people who think yeah. that they're, they're going to get away with these things that they, that all the evidence is kind of pointing against them uh, actually yeah. making it out of this scot-free or even close, like, even solvent at all. Yeah, there's, mm-hmm. there's lots of fuckery behind the scenes, you know. Mm-hmm. They're printing their own shares as in certifying their own shares, all kinds of stuff that oh. if, if anyone were ever to like audit them or mark, you know, or, yeah. What, what were you going to say, Oliver? 
Yeah, that reminds me. Like uh, the government has been um, kind of assisting in this because they don't want the stock market to crash either. So they've been lending out these like huge amounts of money, like billions of dollars, as long as it's returned by the end of the day, um, with at zero, mm. at like zero interest, as long as it's returned by the end of the day. We have through the bonds market. Mm-hmm. So they've been just like, for like liquidity relief. Yeah, just for uh, yeah, just to keep things flowing and what these hedge funds are using it for um this kind of emergency money that's really shouldn't be accessed at all they're using it to basically like we were saying earlier pay off credit cards with other credit cards like pay off loans with other loans by by continuing to create all these extra shorts these naked shorts borrowing from peter to pay paul and it's getting to the point now some of the hedge funds have gone under yeah, it's getting a lot of the other hedge funds are, are um, you know, pulling out of their investments and in other, you know, stocks in order to cover. So the the stock market in general is just going down, like across the board because they have they're forced to, you know, cover these shorts. There's there's just lots of like you know data that that says like uh, you know this is like there's a huge movement of exchange going on and market manipulation and shadow markets and and those kinds of things that are only you know accessible to them to use and exploit and it's just a matter of if if they'll ever be stopped you know stopped and called out for it and actually enforced if those rules will ever be enforced but I, I i mean if that ever did happen if there was ever a moas you know um like i'm, I'm keeping up with it but mm-hmm. i would be more surprised than than i was when i found out about aliens <laughs> yeah <laughs> because it's the the master's house thing like um, we're trying to dismantle the master's house, and they're, you know, like like you said, the government's behind them. The the people who are meant to be, yeah, overseeing them, mm-hmm. are in on it in a way, or not, or looking the other way. And so I just don't see it happening. I I see it just kind of trading sideways for a long time, or maybe a kind of small short squeeze, yeah, or some kind of new rule or something that lets them out of it. Um, and they also have their trading halt abilities. Yeah. yeah, I've been getting Instagram ads. Like, were you prevented from trading uh, GME or AMC uh, by Robinhood? It's all like class action lawsuits. Yeah. Or uh, yeah, firms trying to put together class action lawsuits. Yeah, and this is how change happens. Like, like as as you're saying, like, yeah, it's difficult um, to imagine a scenario where this plays out to its full extent um, without somebody mm-hmm. stepping in and stopping it. But um, yeah. The way I see it, it's more if, you, if you're playing a more long-term patience game, you can mm-hmm. see that you're just all we're doing is really applying pressure, mm-hmm. and they're being forced to change all these rules in order to accommodate how fucked these people are becoming. They're 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 being forced to be like, okay, well, we're not going to allow these hedge funds to do naked shorts anymore. If you're going to be doing this, you're going to have to pay a lot more collateral, and you're not allowed to be doing certain types of trades in the first place anymore. Because look what happened. Look how fucked. You just put us all in it because we're all part of the same collective group that's supposed to bail each other out when this happens. And now we're all fucked. Yeah. Nice nice attempt at a segue there, by the way, Jimmy. I, when you say, aliens, man. I feel like there's more of a chance of yeah. aliens than... I mean, nudge, nudge. I haven't heard this yeah. Moas thing. It sort of It sort of reminds me of like... I think I said I used the word millenarian last time, where where the language and the thinking around it starts to sound sort of QAnon like, like sort of a, a apocalypse cult. You know, millenarian is like the yeah yeah the cult where they're like Jesus is coming in 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 this field on this day, and then when it when he doesn't show up, it just like increases Changes, yeah. the yeah increases the number of converts, and they they move the day up and make even bigger promises. Yeah. I don't know anything about it, really. I don't know the economics of it, but... Yeah, I felt that way a couple of times. Um, <laughs> when I brought up the Bitcoin like subculture, too, that's that's initially what I was going to draw comparisons to, was that, yeah, that kind of group think, mm-hmm. that kind of, like, cultish, like, you know, there's, like, there's lingo of the in-group and everything, and then it becomes yeah. almost like... I mean, in, in the GME and the Super Stonk or whatever, that I, I mean, I go on it pretty frequently just to check in, but... You know, they often talk about uh, in, in a sarcastic way, like uh, about confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they do it in a self-aware way. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, this is clear confirmation bias. But, you know, here's an article that, you know, says something in our favor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so they just they just post all of these things. And so even though they're aware that they're doing it, there there is a bit of self awareness. But mm-hmm. it still feels a lot like like when I when, when yeah. I went to the um, Bitcoin stuff. There's all these like posts about like going to the moon and like that's yeah. like that's like straight out of the GME thing. And and that that made me feel a little bit like disquieted and kind of like because like right. I feel like the crypto stuff seems more cultish to me than like. <laughs> I thought GME was a bit more legit, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I still don't know that much about crypto. Like, there's just I've learned some some about it, but it it feels like in some ways kind of like a pyramid scheme. I like I've heard different things. I've heard like you can't sell, like you know, transfer funds back from from uh, like an NFT. That's like one example. Like if you were to sell, you could sell your like your art, your shitty artwork for tons of whatever like Jimbo currency. <laughs> Jimbo bucks. Um, Jimbo coin, Jimbo bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and it could be like worth, you know, in theory, like thousands of dollars. But it, in order to actually get the dollars out of it, it's like there's, from what I've heard, I've heard conflicting reports. Some people have said it's impossible to transfer Jimbo bucks to dollars and you're just kind of stuck. Uh, or I've heard that it is possible, but I haven't looked into it. I mean, the, yeah. the whole NFT thing is mostly, to me, indicative of how frothy and immaterial the market is and how much of a bubble yeah. our, our whole concept of value is. Yeah. Because you're, yeah. you're ascribing arbitrary value and artificial scarcity to something that doesn't exist, you know. Mm-hmm. Not that, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got, like, gold bug type of people who are, like, prepper-adjacent people who think we need to go back to the gold standard, but like even gold is an arbitrary value, you know, it's not that useful in and of itself. You can use it in some computer parts, but other than that, it's not like especially utilitous metal. It's pretty soft, but mm-hmm. it's it was just sort of the standard for a lot of human history. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I mean, that, that's the the thing about NFTs is that it's it's really just thin air and it's like, it's the art is so bad too. I mean, I, I've always held that like 90% of art regardless is bad. Um, <laughs> But these are just. I made an yeah. NFT. Nice. Oh yeah. You made one. Yeah, I secretly made. Um, do you? Well, do you remember? Did you guys ever see the rare, <laughs> the rare Pepe thing? That was like one of the first examples, at least that I came across of NFTs. They've been around for a while. Pepe the Frog or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like little trading cards. It's like a Pepe animation or cartoon. And there's like the rarest one is like a, a Homer Simpson Pepe, but they're just like they're little like mm. Pokemon card looking pieces of art. Because a lot of the first things to to go mainstream uh, as far as NFT art were collectibles, yeah, like rare rare Pepes and and Crypto Kitties. And it all seems kind of dumb, but there were people that were making like millions off of these like little fake Pokemon cards of of a Pepe. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I what I did uh, as sort of like my <laughs> fuck you to NFTs. Is I I took a, a dick pic and I photoshopped it into like a trading card and then I anonymously uploaded it and I, I called it a rare PP. <laughs> so that's that's on the blockchain somewhere. I don't think anybody's bought it, but what if it pops off and you have to like you, you end up like becoming like a millionaire from this PP? I mean, that would be great. Card, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Yeah. First of all, that's oh, awesome. Man. And second of all, um, I wanted to say. Yeah, the whole, like, I like that you use the word frothiness, but the whole, like, ephemerality or everything kind of feels like uh, an illusion at this point. Um, we're starting to access that uh, that part of our, our psyche where we're starting to realize, I think, that all the money that we have is kind of um, fabricated. We've already fabricated the value of it. The worth of it is kind of dependent on what we what we determine the worth to be, like, you know, what really matters is the worth of our labor. You know what I mean? Like if you had like a rent strike or a uh, or a labor strike, and maybe that's where this is going. Uh, when you when you create all this new folk currency, kind of like what happened with uh, the insurrection, you're you're challenging the powers that be, the way things are, and you're getting it into the unconscious, the societal unconscious, that it is possible to ascribe our own value, our own worth to things. You know, we've been told day by day is the true value of the things we own and our jobs and our bank account is all uh, something we have the ability to change. Yeah. It feels like, (laughs) it just feels like we're living in this, like, very abstract uh, world where everything is. Yeah. And at least we're calling attention to that. Yeah. It's a good reminder of the dreaminess of life. 
basically yeah. you know that Dream. kind of dreaming quality yeah that's kind of that's what i was trying to bring it back to is like this is something people have been saying for thousands of years like buddhist monks have been saying this for thousands yeah. of years like everything is a dream and uh yeah everything's a dream dreamed up by other or someone else and we can dream better dreams or i don't know if i i don't know if that came across that like what i was trying to say sounded pretty dumb actually And we're back, back from the ad break. Friend Sim is brought to you by Sabra Hummus and Soda Stream, two proud Israeli products supporting <laughs> a Zionist cause. Shit. Oh, uh, I did want to bring up the thing that you sent, Oliver. We got our first hate mail, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so funny. It's a nice little cherry on top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to say his name. I remember this guy from high school, but it was somebody we went to high school with. He's a, he's a libertarian. Yeah. Do you, do you want me to just read it real quick? Sure, yeah. Okay. Read it on air, our first hate man. <laughs> he's a friend of mine, so I'll keep it I'll keep it chill. Yeah. He said, good job. You know, it's awesome that you're doing this. And then he said, hey, I like your latest podcast. I'd love to participate if you want to interview a libertarian on the show. Even though Danger Dan seems pretty rational, you, on the other hand, seem very indoctrinated, which isn't your fault. Sorry, I've listened more to the podcast. I think you're actually a fool. Makes me feel bad. If if no one pays rent, then rent won't exist. You're a fucking idiot. There I go. So my response is, thanks for listening, bro. Yeah, I definitely talk out of my ass sometimes. But with regards to not paying rent, what are they going to do? Kick us all out? It's called a strike and they work for a reason. And then his response is, I think it's great you're making a podcast. I wish you all the success in the world, bro. Oh. <laughs> your argument about rent showcases your lack of understanding about basic economics. There's a universal concept called supply and demand. <laughs> just because you start to ignore the... Wait, what is that? <laughs> I need to write this down. Oh, man. Supply and what? <laughs> supply and demand? Just because you strike... Wait, I've never heard that one. Just the no, strike to ignore the, this fact of nature doesn't make it disappear. It only transfers the power from the free market to the government, union of the people. I'm pretty sure your method has been tried before with disastrous results. Look up Mao Pol Pot Stalin. <laughs> what are you talking about? Mao definitely got rent canceled. Oh, he did? Successfully. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he killed all the landlords. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, It's if I had a nickel for every time I heard... Basic economics and supply and demand in the same sentence. <laughs> That's just shorthand for like, I took an intro to a macroeconomics course. I don't know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, it's, and I think I mentioned this in, in the text after you shared it, but it's weird how like, I do tend to get some love from libertarians, yeah. which is ironic because there's like no ideology that I'm more diametrically opposed to <laughs> then i mean specifically like american libertarian because libertarian can mean a lot of things but in in america libertarianism has taken on this weird life of its own and it's become this very dumb very popular thing mm-hmm. yeah that yeah. i fully disagree with it's funny yeah, yeah it is weird you were saying that yeah i feel like people get mad and they, they're not really most arguments i feel like are miscommunications like people get mad and they don't take the time to really listen to what you're saying and then they, they're arguing against shadows like ghosts of the past of who they're, you know, sure. who they're really arguing. Oh, my God. It just keeps going. I'll try to take the, the good parts of it. My response to him about Mao, Pol Pot, Stalin was, thanks, man. I'm glad to hear you're a libertarian and not a Republican or Democrat. But I think it transfers the power to the people, not the government. If anything, it forces the government to respect the choices of the people more. But, yeah, I'll check those out. So And then he says, so when you say it transfers power to the people, what does that mean? Does that mean as an individual property owner, I don't have the choice to charge rent? Is your ideal that the government should regulate how much an individual property owner should be able to charge? So I guess that's where we got to the meat of the issue, right? He was He's a landowner. Yeah, classic. So obviously he's going to have an issue with, me, with people not paying rent. He's going to be pissed about it. Yeah, I mean, good for him. That's great that he owns land, but... You're treading on some serious uh, cliches there. Serious landlord logic cliches. <laughs> mm-hmm. We actually come to an agreement at the end. That's good. Yeah, I believe government has the ability to set stricter regulations on the corporations 
Because I'm mainly, we're mainly targeting not individual landowners, but like large corporations that own tons of houses. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I feel like I thought we were agreeing, but people people get into libertarianism because they're attracted. I mean, it's a th- you go through a libertarian phase. Most people go through a libertarian phase, you know, in college or in high school, mm-hmm. and it's in pursuit of the attractive idea of individual freedom. But libertarianism in the U.S. has nothing to do with couldn't be more detrimental to individual freedom because what it becomes is freedom for corporations and people who have already to keep doubling down and entrenching their power but it's weird because because people get into it with the idea that like if i work hard enough i'll get to be one of those people you know i get to be the boot instead of the one being stepped on and so it's a weird like self-defeating you're just kind of cucking yourself yeah. uh, in this weird way uh what's the quote like in america the poor don't believe that they're poor they just think they're temporarily, temporarily embarrassed, embarrassed millionaires, millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i like that you use the word cuck because like i've been on like wall street bets a lot and they use that a lot mm-hmm. you know a lot of these guys and it's because they're money-oriented entrepreneurial types you know greedy yeah greedy types and i think there's a correlation there because i never even thought about it before i don't know that type of kink because it just didn't like appeal to me yeah but i'm starting to understand how these people think now and like why they have to say it so much it's like this weird i think it's related people who think like that are the same types of people who become libertarians right because they're, they're entering into this self-defeating mindset you're embracing and actually like learning to love the idea of getting like cheated on or fucked over or like like embarrassed or jealous or like you're just like embracing that sure. mentality it's almost like what are those those girls who just really enjoy being choked and shit uh-huh. i don't know it kind of reminds me of that all girls i mean yeah i guess every, every just kidding <laughs> there's a little bit of it in all of us um that particular fetish and so i don't know i think it's related yeah yeah i think you're right it's like a your it, when your worldview is zero sum and you can only understand things in terms of like dominance Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to reconcile with the fact that you aren't in the position of power yeah. or, or have the agency that you aspire to have. It's like an internal dialogue, an internal conflict. Yeah, thanks for articulating that. I think a lot of those people end up coming out of high school or whatever and just going right into work. Like, you know, most people. And after a while, like, you start to realize that you've been getting screwed over. You know, that's kind of the logic you're given, offered. Like, you know, keep at this and eventually, like you said, Dan, like, be the boot. Mm-hmm. But then they start to realize, you know, eventually cognitive dissonance sets in when, like, reality doesn't play out the way they were told or expecting it to. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for, cognitive dissonance. And that results in, like, mm-hmm. strange infighting and, like, projection and, like, calling people cucks and stuff. And, like, it's easier to do that than to challenge the whole economic system that you were told. Right. It's a tall order to like reevaluate the entire system that you were born into and, you know, educated to defer to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's easier to just double down. You know, it it all dovetails nicely with like hustle culture, hustle, hustlepreneurs Mm -hmm. and like grind mentality, all that shit, which is really sad. It is. Yeah. It's it's the saddest thing to see. People have clearly kind of been screwed over (laughs) and they kind of take it upon themselves like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be the one that's... I'm not going to be the sucker anymore. Like, Google.com. How to not be a sucker. Just <laughs> type that in. With, like, you know, top result. How to talk to, you know, business... Prospective business partners and women. And, uh, yeah, it's like... There's a kind of an overlap between... PUAs. The, the PUAs and also, like, like these kind of hustle culture yeah. bros. Like a quick fix life hack. What is path of least resistance? Yeah. What is PUA for? Pickup artist. Oh yeah. Who is? Buy my course and I'll tell you how to smash. Why? Why is it an Italian accent? (laughs) That's Italianophobic, Jimmy. Italianophobic. (laughs) Also, I've never seen an Italian PUA. Italians naturally have game. I see. You don't have to. Oh, yeah, like he didn't have one of those books. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cut the cut his mic. Cut his mic. The episode's over. <laughs> you just naturally have it. Born with it. <laughs> All right. Well, that was cute. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, yeah. Bye.